First Thessalonians chapter number one. So if you could turn there, First Thessalonians chapter one, and we're going to complete our look at the first chapter this evening. So if you just turn there, then we'll take a moment and just ask the Lord to bless this time that He would work in our hearts and He'd be glorified with everything that happens tonight. So First Thessalonians chapter number one, and then let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the week that we've had in your house, the preaching that we've heard. And I pray tonight that you would just continue um, that work in our hearts. Would you open our eyes that we might uh, uh, see your word afresh and anew. Lord, I want to submit myself to you tonight um, and give you all that I can. I pray that you would use that um, to to build us up, to encourage us, to give us tools that we can use in our life and our walk with you. Uh, bless these next uh, a few minutes, we pray. May you be glorified in our response to what you do in our hearts. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, we've spent some time here in this chapter, and really the more that I read it, the more... Um, it's, it's evident that chapter 1 is a bit of a, it's an introduction. Uh, he's kind of uh, hit on some important points that he's going to develop, the Apostle Paul. Uh, he's going to develop those points a little bit later as he gets into the heart of his letter. This is really the introduction, the greeting to the, the folks there, the, the, the meeting of the, the, and the addressing of the felt need that they had, obviously, and we pointed this out in the last couple of weeks, they've they're going through a measure of persecution. They're going through some difficulties. That's one of the reasons why Paul has decided to write this letter just a short time after he wrote the first one. Some of that persecution he's heard has increased, and he wants to help them, specifically in this area, as well as give them some truth that will help them to be able to process what's going on around them, especially when it comes to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to deal with that a bit more in chapter number 2. Um, but here in this chapter, he, he's, he's acknowledged the persecution that the, the believers are dealing with. He is, uh, he's challenged them. We looked at that two weeks ago at their need to rest. Rest with us. Rest in the righteous judgment of God that, that, that God sees and, and, and God knows and God's the perfect accountant and one day God's going to settle the score. Rest in His righteousness. Rest in the hope that He is coming again and He will judge this world. Rest in those things. And so He's admonishing them and encouraging them in that, in that fact. And then in chapter 2 He's going to dig into the heart of the letter and the purpose for writing and all that, of course, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so as he closes the introduction here in chapter number one, we find uh, recorded for us one of the many, and there are many of these in the New Testament, but the many uh, recorded prayers of the Apostle Paul. And this prayer that he prays is both a pointed prayer, it has a point, and a purposeful prayer. There is a purpose that is here. And so tonight we're going to look at the pointed, purposeful prayer of Paul. And of course, somewhere, sometime, Brother Jerry, if, he's, if he happens to be watching on Monday morning, this one is for you. All that alliteration is just for you. It'll make you happy. It'll make your week. And so if he happens to be watching on Monday morning, there's your alliteration. So the pointed, purposeful prayer of Paul. And I, and I use those words not just as alliteration, but 
That's really going to be the, the, the foundation of the outline as we look at the point of the prayer and then the purpose of the prayer. And as we look at this, um, you, you'll find, and, and I hope that you'll specifically look for two distinct applications. The one application is an obvious one. Here Paul is praying for individuals, for people who are going through a trial. They're going through a testing. They're going through a difficult time. They're facing persecution because of their faith. They're, they're facing pressure because of their belief and their, 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 their following of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, 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 and they're really feeling it at this point. And so Paul is praying for them in the midst of their trouble. And if you're a believer and you, you have a heart for God, I'm, I hope there's a lot of you tonight who would say, you know, I desire to be used by God as a prayer warrior, as, a, as someone who is praying for those in need. You see, things happen, needs that, that, that come across, uh, uh, events that take place. And you know what? Physically speaking, there's not a lot many times we can do to solve that issue. There, there's a heartache, there's a burden, there, there's a stress that's going on. And boy, your heart goes out to them. There's not much you can physically do for them, but you can pray. And then the question is, well, how do you pray? Well, we'll find some examples, some patterns here in this text. The second application is that what we see Paul doing is he's really praying for God's will in the lives of these believers. He's, he's praying and he's saying, this is what God wants to do. And so I'm praying in accordance with God's will. I'm praying God's desire in the believers there at Thessalonica, this is God's desire for you, and I'm praying because this is what God wants. And so if you find yourself in the, in the midst of a trial, a difficulty, a struggle, you're facing some persecution, you're facing some hard times, this is God's desire for you. This is God's will for you. And so with that two-fold application, let's read our text, just two verses tonight, verse 11 and 12, where Paul writes, Wherefore also... We pray always for you, that our God would count you worthy of this calling, and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness, and the work of faith with power, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you, and ye in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So he says in verse 11, wherefore also we pray always for you. And that word wherefore, that just means for this reason or for which reason. Paul had just finished in that marathon of a sentence from verse 3 all the way down to verse 10. He had, he had just finished admonishing them and saying, I know you're going through a difficult time. I, I know things are, are, are troublesome for you, but rest with us. You need to rest. You need to rest in Christ's righteousness. You need to rest in the hope of his Return. Paul just finished admonishing them when he says, Wherefore also? I have something else to add to that. And the else, the also, what I want to add to that is I want to, I want to, I want to let you know that I'm praying for you in this. He didn't stop at admonition, you know, what they are supposed to do. This is what you should do. This is what you're supposed to do. But he followed it with pointed and purposeful prayer. Now think about this tonight. As you 
Look, look across the, this body, the Lehigh Valley Baptist Church, the needs that you might hear of, the struggles that people are going through. It's not very hard to have an opinion about what you think they should do in the midst of their trial. Perhaps they're, they're, they're dealing with a difficulty and you say, I know what would solve that. I know what they need to do. And that's not necessarily a wrong thing to maybe see and see with some discernment and maybe see some weaknesses or see some areas where they could respond better or do something in a different way. That's not necessarily wrong. What I am saying is it's easy to see what they should do. It's a lot harder to then say, you know what, I'm going to pray for them. That God would help them to do what they should do. It's easy to sit around, maybe even talking, or in, in our own minds, you lay it out. This is A, B, C, and D. If they would just do these three, four things, then everything would be solved. And perhaps that is what they need to do. But do we stop to pray for them? Do we take time to pray? So Paul says, I'm going to take some time to pray. In light of the admonition, in light of the difficulty that you're going through, in light of your need to rest in the righteousness of of God and rest in the second coming of Jesus Christ, and He's going to make everything right, right in light of all of that, I want to pray for you. And this is what I am praying. And so in verse 11, we see the point of the prayer. What is the point? What is He praying for? What are the specific requests? He says, wherefore also we pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power. He says, I'm praying always for you. And my prayer, you will notice, and this is rather unique, Paul is communicating that the spiritual well-being of the believers in Thessalonica was his top priority. The spiritual well-being of these believers was constantly on his heart. And he communicates that with the word always. We're we're praying always for you. Your spiritual well-being is on our hearts. And we see a a, a lesson here um, and an example in the Apostle Paul is the spiritual well-being, not just the the physical, but the spiritual well-being, is that something that is on our hearts. And this is something that we see from Paul numerous times, but 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 28, he communicates this. It says, Beside those things which are without, that which cometh on me daily, regularly, the care of all the churches. Paul's communicating that this, I, 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 I carry a heavy burden on my heart because... I care spiritually for the believers that I've left behind in different places. I care spiritually for the churches that have been planted. And here in this case, the the church at Thessalonica, Paul Paul says, "I, I care spiritually about them. Can I just say tonight that when we are filled with care about our own needs it can leave little room for care and prayer regarding the needs of others. This is such a tricky thing. Such a, uh, uh, um, 
a sneaky thing that creeps up in our lives where in our prayer life, we are more concerned about my needs, what's on my heart, what I want, and there's little to no room whatsoever to actually care about the spiritual needs of other people. I'm sure there were some needs, some things on Paul's heart at this time. I'm sure there were some, some burdens he was bearing. I mean, after all, he was the super important missionary and they were just lowly you know, church members. If anything, they should be praying for him, not the other way around. But see, that's the problem. We can be so consumed about our own needs that there's no room. Maybe you want to care for other people, but you know, there's just not space. There's no room to care for the needs of others. We must be very careful with this. Paul not only cared, but he cared enough to make sure that he was praying for that which is most important. It's interesting that you will find in almost all, I'll say almost all, I think it's all, but almost all of Paul's prayers, you don't find any record of Paul praying for physical or material things. Now, that does not mean that we should not pray for physical or or material things. I'm not saying that that is wrong. But we see a priority in Paul's life to pray for the spiritual, to care about the spiritual, to see everything through the lens of what is God doing in this particular situation. There are physical components to it. There are emotional components to it. But in the midst of that, God is doing something in the midst of that, there are spiritual needs which, which undergird, which, which uh, 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 pull on those other, the physical needs, and those spiritual needs are most important. And we find in this pattern here of prayer that Paul is praying for the spiritual, not necessarily for the physical. So we need to get, though, to the point. What is the point? What is he praying about? Well, first of all, we find Paul praying for or praying that God would count. He says that, that our God would count you worthy of this calling. I like how he says that, our God, our God. That's a good reminder when we're praying for fellow believers. We're in this together. We're on the same team. We're not in competition uh, with each other. We're together. He is our God. He is the one thing that binds us together. He's our commonality. Uh, he's our, our team captain. We're all in this together. He's our God. But I'm praying that our God would count you. And specifically, he would count you worthy. And the idea of being counted worthy, it's just a single word, but it means to be deemed fit or to be seen as deserving. So in other words, he's saying that I'm praying that God would see you as deserving of your calling. Okay, what is your calling? Well, the, a calling is it's, it's, a, it's a call to a specific task, a, to a specific role, a specific job. So what is he talking about here? Well, there's two possibilities, and I think maybe it really could be both. He's talking about both, but one is... For believers, we have the calling of salvation. We have been called as children of God. 
We have been called as believers, as Christians, we have been called as saints of God. We have been called as an ambassador of God. We've been called children of light. We could go on and on. This is our calling. And so what he's saying is that he's praying that God would, would see us as worthy to be called the children of God. Now, let me be very careful, and we need to be very careful to point out that salvation is not something that we earn. Sal- salvation is not something that we, we kind of uh, muster up some worthiness, and so therefore, if we get enough worthiness put together, that God will deem us as saved and he'll, he'll deem us as righteous. That's not what he's talking about at all. But you realize that as a believer, as someone who has accepted and received the righteousness of Christ on, on, on your behalf, now you have a task, now you have a job, and with God's help, you can actually live up to the calling with which you are called. Amen. It's not that you earn that calling with your goodness, but now God calls you His child. So you need to live like you're His child. God calls you his ambassador, and so you need to walk worthy of being an ambassador. God has called you to those things, and with his help, you can live up to those things with, with his empowering. And get this. You notice what, how Paul writes it. He says that our God would count you worthy. So this is worthiness, not in the eyes of other people around you necessarily, but this is worthiness in God's eyes. Now this is incredible because, think about this. Through Christ, we are made worthy of salvation. And then, through the enabling of the Spirit, we can be deemed as worthy in the eyes of our Heavenly Father. But it's all about Him. We weren't worthy of the calling in the first place, but through Christ, because of what Jesus did on the cross, we can receive it, we can be worthy of it. And then now, as a believer, we can live up to that calling, but only with His help. He's the source of it all. We couldn't get saved without Him. We couldn't walk as a worthy child of God without Him. It's all about Him. What love is that? I'm going to call you. You don't deserve it. But I'm going to call you anyway. And then I'm going to enable you to be exactly what I want you to be. It'll, all, it'll, it'll, be, it'll be all on me. Not on you. All you got to do is submit to what I'm trying to do in your life. That's incredible. So I think part of his, this idea of God counting you or deeming you worthy has to do with salvation. But I think, though, the main emphasis is found in that word that was added by the translators there in verse 11. That our God would count you worthy of this calling. Now, that's not an actual word that's translated, but there is something in the Greek language that the translators wanted us to say. There's something in the wording here that communicates that he is, he's making a demonstration, that he's pointing back to something that he said previously. And I believe this calling, the, the, the emphasis there of this calling goes back to verses 4 and 5 of chapter number 1. Paul says, so that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations which ye, or that ye endure, which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God, that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, for which ye also suffer. Part of this calling, and what the believers in Thessalonica were called to do, 
they were called to suffer. Now, we look at a calling as perhaps a more uh, glorified thing, you know, a more exalted thing. A call to be, you know, a great servant of God, called to this position, called to this recognition, called to suffer. It's quite a calling. And not only just the call to suffer, but also the call to be, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, the manifest token of the judgment of God. The demonstration, the evidence of the righteousness of God. God has called you to suffer, and in that suffering, you will display something about who He is to the world that is around you. That's quite a, quite a calling. This is a theme that's not just here in this, in this text, but it's multiple places in the New Testament. The book of Philippians chapter 1 and verse 29. Notice the wording here. It says, For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ. Not only to believe on Him, we like that part, but also to suffer for His sake. And you notice it's given. It's a gift. It's a calling. In the book of Acts, um, let's see, I think it's Acts chapter 5. Do I have it on here? Yes, I do. You remember the, the apostles? When they faced persecution, they departed from the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. See, in Paul's eyes, these believers were given the lofty honor the honor of suffering for the name of Jesus. And they needed to respond to that suffering in a way that was worthy of that honor. As someone given a position, as someone given a, the honor of this calling, they, they need to act in accordance to the position that they have been given. That's what Paul is asking God to help them do. God, would you help them endure this suffering in a way that, 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 that corresponds, in a way that is, is meet with their high calling, the high calling of suffering for the name of Christ. Do you know, in our suffering, and not just our suffering in the realm of persecution, but many times even in the trials that we face, as believers, we have the opportunity to shine for Christ like no other time in our lives. Amen. That is the calling. To shine for Christ in a way that there's no, we, we could not, without that trial, we, we could not shine for Christ in that sort of way. I've seen that in my own life. I've seen that in lives of others who have gone and endured heartache, difficulty, trial, persecution. And because they chosen to respond in a similar fashion to these believers, like back in uh, verse number four, they had patience and faith in all their persecutions and tribulations, because they chose to keep their eyes on Christ, because they, they chose, I'm going to do the very best I can with God's enabling to live worthy of this calling, they were able to shine and be an extremely powerful testimony of the grace of God. 
the goodness of God, the righteousness of God. That's a high calling. We are tempted to pray for our fellow believers when we see them going through challenges and difficulties. We're tempted to pray, God, would you just get them out of it? Would you deliver them from that? Would you short-circuit, end this trial? Paul doesn't pray for that. He says, I'm praying that God would see you and deem you as fit and worthy of this high calling of suffering for His namesake. What a prayer request. And what a, what a, uh, what a vision for those of us as we go through trial and difficulty, to have the vision that I want to keep my eyes on Christ because I've been given a high calling and I want to I live up to that calling and be a powerful testimony. I don't, I don't know who I'm going to impact, uh, what, it, what, uh, uh, what is going to come from this. I don't know what God is doing, I, I don't, but I'm just going to do my best and leave, leave the results with Him. So Paul is praying that God would count them worthy of this calling. But not only that, there's another aspect to this prayer request. Wherefore, we pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of His goodness. And I believe there's a parallel um, in how this is worded. So that, that God would count you worthy and that God would fulfill all of the good pleasure of his goodness. And so this is the second part of this prayer request, that God would fulfill. And the idea of fulfilling is completing or energizing or filling. And notice that the, the target, uh, the, main, the, the main emphasis in this statement is really the goodness of God. That God would fulfill all of the good pleasure of God's goodness, His goodness, His kindness, His generosity. That's the the meaning of the word goodness. That God would fulfill His kindness and His goodness. Is God still good even in a trial? You've heard the phrase, it's maybe a little bit cliche, but it's true. God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. But how in the world does that work when enduring suffering? It doesn't feel very much like God is good when you're suffering. You don't get that sense. You know what? God's good. The natural sense is, why are you doing this to me, God? I don't understand. Why is all of this happening? How does this work, the goodness of God in the midst of suffering? Well, it's not a perfect illustration, but it does kind of help. Why does a good coach call his players to endure hardship in practice, in reps, in in, uh, uh, conditioning, Why does a good coach call his players to endure those kind of hardships? I remember 
very well how we would start basketball practice under Pastor Roland because he was our coach. We would start with a two-hour practice. The first hour was all conditioning, the whole thing. And if you really want to, you know, um, get an exercise routine, the one thing that I'll never forget is over in the lunchroom, running those steps, laps, up one side, down the other, up one side, down the other. You were not allowed to skip steps. Your foot had to hit every single step on the way up and every single step on the way down. Do 25 of those. See how you feel. Now, was he doing that to us because he hated us? There's a chance. (laughs) Probably were that annoying. Or was he doing this because there was some sort of greater good that he wanted to work in us? See, this is where God is good. Because he has a greater good that he wants to work in us. And the tool that he is using not necessarily to correct us, but to help us, can often be the sufferings that we endure. Paul is praying that God would fulfill the good pleasure of his goodness. That he would accomplish the good thing that God is doing, that he is doing in your heart and in your life. It's interesting how he words it. He kind of throws in what seem to be like extra words in here. But I think they, they emphasize the point, they, they undergird, they highlight the point, that God would fulfill all of the good pleasure of His goodness. What is the good pleasure of God's goodness? Well, God's pleasure, what, what makes God happy, is demonstrating His goodness to us. In other words, God delights in being good to you. God delights in being good to me. That is... The pleasure of his goodness, the good pleasure of his goodness. And think about it, believer, what what kind of delight does God, in his kindness and generosity, what kind of delight does that bring to your life? If you had to remove all of the goodness of God in your life, what would be left? What's left behind? Not a lot. Now, you notice he says that God would fulfill not just the good pleasure of his goodness, but all, all of the good pleasure of his goodness. All of it. In other words, Paul's praying, God, would you help them to experience the fullness of your kindness and your generosity? Would they not miss anything? Would, they, would, they, uh, would you help them to experience all of it? And the reason why that is, a, that is an adequate or, or a good prayer request is because we do have the ability as believers to limit and to inhibit some of God's goodness in our lives. In Isaiah chapter 59, we're told that our iniquities separate between us and God, and our sins, get this now, have hidden His face from us that He will not hear. You remember the the blessing in the Old Testament that God would make His face to shine upon you? What do we equate that with? Well, we equate that 
that idea of God making His face to shine upon you as the idea that God would bless your life, that God would be good to you. But it's our, it's our sin, it's our own negative and rebellious responses to perhaps even the calling that He's called us to. It's our sin that, that, that hides His face, that, that, that uh, uh, clouds over so that we're, we're not able to experience as much of His goodness as we otherwise would be able And we need help to respond correctly, to to choose that which is right, to refuse the fleshly responses of sin to those trials and those difficulties. We need God's help in that so that we can enjoy and experience God's goodness. That God would fulfill all the good pleasure of His goodness. That God would fulfill His goodness, but not only that. Look there at the end of the verse. And that he would fulfill the work of faith with power. So not only that God would fulfill his goodness, but that God would also fulfill their work. I love this phrase, and honestly, I've never seen it before. But Paul is praying that God would complete and fulfill. And the idea of that, again, is furnishing or enduing. That God would fulfill His power in their work of faith. So their part was to continue the work that God had called them to do. To continue their walk with God. To continue serving God. To to continue ministering in whatever way God called them to minister. That was their part. The work of faith. Paul says, would you fulfill God your part in that? And your part, God's part, is His power. In ministry, which is something that we all should be doing, by the way. That's our our calling as believers in this church. Ephesians chapter 4, you are to be, as a church, equipped. And hopefully the the preaching of the Word, the gifts uh, of uh, of pastors and evangelists can, can give us this maturity, this spiritual maturity, would be equipped to go out and minister. So all of you should be ministering. That's God's will for your life in some sort of way. But if you've ministered for any length of time, you've realized, in myself and me, what am I really capable of doing? Jesus even told uh, told that to us, right? He said, without me, you can do nothing. So you can go out, you can preach the word, you can go out, you can hand out tracts, you can teach a class, uh, you can can, uh, uh, help serve in the children's ministry, you could could, uh, uh, minister or try to encourage one another in any sort of way. And all of those things, all those things are just outward actions. Without the power of God, nothing comes of those things. They are just empty. There's nothing there. You're You're just like empty air. And not accomplishing anything at all. How we need for our work to be empowered by God. And that's what Paul is saying. That that God would fulfill the work of faith with His power. Boy, that's exciting when God does that. When He takes a, a work of faith. And many times He does this without even us knowing. It happens behind the scenes. It happens without our knowledge many times. And He is taking what we're doing and He is adding His power to it. And He's using it. 
Is there anything more exciting for a believer than to know and to sense God is using me for something? But that's his power. We need that power. And you know, we can pray for one another that we would have that power, that God would fulfill their work with his power. So the point of the prayer is that God would count and that God would fulfill. And I'll just add this. You're familiar with this verse, Zechariah chapter 4 and verse 6. God had called Zerubbabel to lead the people back to the land and rebuild the temple of God. And God's message to Zerubbabel was this. This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power. It's not all on you, Zerubbabel, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. If our work of faith is empowered with his power, now that can actually accomplish something. As long as it's just us, there ain't nothing there. Not of any value. So that is the point of the prayer. Let's look number two then at the purpose of the prayer. The purpose of the prayer. Verse 12, the word that, for this reason, for this purpose. I'm praying for all of these things, that God would count you worthy, would see you as deserving of the high calling of suffering, that, that, that God would fulfill his goodness in your life, that God would fulfill your work with power. I'm praying for all of that for this purpose, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and ye in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. The purpose of this prayer is threefold. First of all, and this is the ultimate purpose, the, the, the ultimate reason for all of this, and that is a glorified name. And that name is not ours, that name is his. The idea of glorify, we talked about it this week, Brother Pastor Fryman did. It's the idea of honoring, giving weight and significance. I'll never forget the, the police officer illustration. That's going to really help me, all right? Just acknowledge, it's, it's an acknowledgement of his authority and then allowing that to impact how we live. And what a great illustration that was. So glorify, that's the idea of giving weight and giving significance and responding to that. It is the ability, glorifying God is the ability of people... To see God through us. We are the frame. We are the picture window. Through which people can look through and see what's on the other side. And what's on the other side is God himself. The greatness of God. If you were to go to, you know, a a beautiful Airbnb for vacation. One that was on the top of a mountain that, that... you know, on a, on a clear day, you could just sit there in the living room and look way off in the future and see the valley below and perhaps a, you know, a river down the bottom and the trees and the mountains. You'd be like, oh, what a view. You're not going to come back and tell everyone, you should have seen this window. I mean, the glass was, I mean, it was strong. It was insulated glass so that the sun could come in without it getting too hot and, and uh, uh, so none of the heat would leave. And it was beautiful glass. No, you would talk about the view. The window decreases, the view increases. And that's what it means to glorify God, that people would see God through us and specifically His identity, who God is and who the Lord Jesus Christ is. And you notice he uses that title twice. 
in one verse. Lord Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus Christ. Paul uses that term, that title, 83 times in his writing. Because of its importance and its significance. In other words, as people are looking through us, this is what they should see. They should see his name. The Lord Jesus Christ. Think about those three names. They should look at us and see Jesus as Lord. Now that's not the all capital Lord. It's just Lord, and Lord means master. He is the sovereign. He is the ruler. He's in charge. And so when we live out our lives as we should, even through trial and difficulty, we can, we can bring emphasis, we can bring attention to the sovereignty of God. The fact that He is all-powerful and He's in charge. The fact that He's the one who has the right to say what goes and what doesn't go. This is His world. We're just living in it. He is the sovereign. He is the Lord. But also... There's the name Jesus. Jesus is his saving name. In fact, that very word itself, the very name, means Jehovah is salvation. Saving name. He is the only one that can save. There's none other name given among men whereby we must be saved. He is the Savior. And he is also the Christ. And that is the sufficient name. Christ means the anointed one. Christ means the one that God has chosen before time began as as the medium by which He could offer us salvation. By the the medium by which he He could forgive our sins by justly punishing His own Son on the cross so that we could be released from the penalty of that. And in Christ there is sufficient salvation. He is the way that God has chosen. And so through our difficulty, through our our suffering, we're, we're called to draw attention to who Jesus is. And can I say that there is no salvation outside this name. You cannot be saved unless you acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. That doesn't mean that you have to work for salvation. That doesn't mean that you have to uh, uh, um, overcome all of these sins in order to be saved. But it does mean that you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, how do you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ without saying He's Lord? You can't skip that part. And if somebody says, oh, that's Lordship salvation, fine. They can say that. They're, They're misunderstanding what you're trying to say. The Bible says that you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is Lord. He is the Savior. He is the one who died in your place. He is the one, the sufficient one, by which you can receive salvation. If if you didn't come to Christ with that knowledge, if you didn't come to salvation with that knowledge, then you did not believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's necessary for salvation, but it doesn't just stop at salvation. Now in our difficulties and our trials, we have an opportunity to be the window, the frame of His sovereignty, of His salvation, of His sufficiency. Paul says the point of this prayer, the reason why I'm praying this, is so that, so that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified. But that's not the only thing. Did you, did you read it there in verse 12? That the name of the Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and ye in him? Hold the phone, wait a second. I, I get the first part. 
What is this? Well, this is not only a glorified name, but it's also a glorified saint. That's us. That's you and me. In other words, when we glorify God, when we fulfill our purpose in glorifying Him, then God then desires to glorify us. He desires to honor us. He desires to give us significance. He's the one that raises us up. Boy, what, a, what an incredible calling that we have. We can be glorified in Him. Now, now, don't jump the gun. Don't put the cart before the horse. It starts with glorifying Him. But when we glorify Him, call, fulfill His calling, then He glorifies us. And all of this, the end of verse 12, is according to the grace of our, Lord, of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is glorified grace. According to His grace. This is the idea of us glorifying God while we are being fed by the grace and help of God. He is giving us the ability to be worthy of our calling. He's giving us the ability to, to demonstrate a work of faith and actually a work of faith with, with power. He's demonst- we're, we're calling, we're, we're depending upon Him for His goodness in our lives, so we're able to glorify Him. So fed by grace, but also led by grace in this way. The word according to means kind of in the same way or along with. In other words, we bring glory to God in the same quantity, in the same way that He brings grace to us. Think about that now. How much grace does God minister to you on a regular basis? The glory that you give to Him should be according to, in the same fashion, in the same way, as the grace that He bestows on you. Glorified grace. So Paul prays for these believers. In the midst of this difficulty, he prays a pointed and purposeful prayer. Can I ask you tonight, are we praying for one another in this way? Praying that God would help our fellow believers to live up to the high saintly calling of being a child of God and to the high calling of enduring trials and difficulties in a way that brings glory to God. Are we praying for each other in that way? Are we praying that each other would receive, we would experience the fullness of God's goodness and that the work of faith that they are accomplishing, that God would fill that with His power? Three requests. I want to challenge you this week, and we'll even have a moment here tonight as we close things out, to choose someone to pray for those three requests. That God would help that individual live up to their calling, be worthy of that calling. That they would experience the fullness of God's goodness. And remember, by the limitation of sin. And that they would experience that power. The work of faith being accompanied by the power of God. What they're trying to accomplish for God, that God would, that God would give them the ability to actually accomplish that work. All of that for the purpose of glorifying God. Are we praying for one another in this way? 
And I'll add our second application. Perhaps you are here tonight and you're really going through it. There's some sufferings, there's some trials, there's some difficulties, and perhaps it's all even because you chose to stand and do what is right. This is what God wants to do in you. This is His will. Be encouraged tonight. Walk out of here with a renewed spring in your step, understanding God wants to be good to me. God wants to help me to be worthy in His eyes. God wants to enable my little feeble work of faith. He actually wants to uh, do it with power so it actually does something. This is what God wants to do in my life and He wants to use me to glorify Him. And in glorifying Him, the side bonus thrown in, extra on top, is that I'm glorified in Him. According to His grace. What a purpose that is. And I hope that gives you some purpose as you face the difficulties of life.